It was cold, gray, and raining on December 20th, 1973, when the Sioux City Strangler parked his Pontiac, nose just touching the red curb on a crowded Midwestern boulevard. He carried his case of pamphlets under his left arm, holding an umbrella in his right hand, doing his best to shield them from the rain that was blowing in sideways. The umbrella had two broken spokes now, and when the wind blew hard, it flipped upside down and acted more like a basin for catching rain than anything else. It was still better than the palm leaf he'd used in the jungle on those long night walks when the thick, heavy droplets of rain would soak you to the bone and beyond. Under the eave of Raymond R. Monroe, M.D.'s door, the Sioux City Strangler took a moment to collect himself before turning the brass handle and going inside. A bright blonde in a Christmas sweater pointed at the urn stuffed full of umbrellas without looking up. Next to it, a coat rack with one lone men's parka stood in service. He took off his coat and placed his umbrella in the urn. He sat quietly reading a trade journal he'd pulled from his bag while he waited on Dr. Monroe. He'd arrived at 4.40 for a 4.45 appointment, but it was after 5 now. Still, he'd learned that waiting was part of the game, and he did so quietly without asking the receptionist when the doctor would be able to see him. At 5.10, Dr. Monroe ushered an elderly man out into the waiting room, giving him a pat on his back as he put the damp parka back on. Poor fellow, said Dr. Monroe, now addressing the Sioux City Strangler. Hopefully he doesn't end up spending Christmas in the hospital. The Sioux City Strangler put on a concerned expression. I sure hope not, he said. The two men shook hands and, like true professionals, exchanged the basic pleasantries of business. I'm sorry to keep you waiting, said Dr. Monroe. It has been a busy day. Well, not a problem, said the Sioux City Strangler. You're my last appointment until after Christmas. Honestly, I was hoping maybe that rain would stop if I sat here long enough, he said. Dr. Monroe smiled, shaking his head up and down with his eyes closed as if to say, yes, sure is a lot of rain out there, isn't there? Pleasantries properly exchanged, the doctor with the salt-and-pepper hair and tightly cropped white beard waved a soaked Sioux City strangler back past the open interior door separating the waiting room from the working area of the office. Thirty minutes later, the Sioux City strangler emerged and put his coat on while attempting to make small talk with the receptionist in the Christmas sweater. She wasn't particularly responsive, but it didn't matter. Nothing could shake him out of his good mood. He was off until the calendar officially marked 1974, and he planned to use that time to scratch a particular itch he'd been keeping in check. Around the side of the brown curtain covering the window, the Sioux City Strangler could see that the rain had stopped. He turned the brass handle on the door and nearly had one foot out when the receptionist spoke. You forgot your umbrella. Thanks, he said, closing the door behind him, leaving the umbrella in the urn where it was. This is the story of the Sioux City Strangler, a man who terrorized the great state of Iowa for nearly 10 years before making his way to California for a little fun in the sun and a fresh crop of citizens to terrorize. I'm your host, Mary Buckley, and you're listening to Sioux City Strangler, the podcast. The Sioux City Strangler was sitting in his car with the engine off, looking at a map he'd picked up at the gas station. He was in Cedar Falls, a little more than three hours from Sioux City. He'd checked out of the motel he'd been staying in for his few days of visits with doctors in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, and Independence. 
A short trip on I-380 South would put him in Cedar Rapids in under 90 minutes, even with afternoon traffic. He fired up his Pontiac again and took a swig of the coffee he'd purchased from the gas station. He drove in silence, thinking of what he might want for dinner and where he could find a motel room once he arrived. He hoped finding a place with a vacancy wouldn't be too difficult, considering that it was Christmas and all. The Sioux City Strangler arrived in Cedar Falls just a little after 7 p.m. The Lamp Light Inn was the first place that looked like a possibility after finding that two other motels closer to the highway were packed to the brim. After circling the property a few times to see how much traffic was nearby, he decided to try for a room before that neon sign went dark. The main entrance faced a fairly busy street, but a back driveway with limited access only for the motel and a diner next door was much quieter. He parked his car on the far end of the lot and walked into the office. He was greeted by a thin man with a receding hairline dressed in a black turtleneck that was about two sizes too big and a pair of gray woolen slacks. The room was relatively nondescript, made up of orange, brown, and cream tones that were in vogue at the time, while also having the benefit of hiding dirt that might accrue in a high-traffic motel space. Two orange leather chairs flanked either side of a wood cafe table by the window. The Sioux City Strangler sat in one of them and looked out into the parking lot. His room was basically in the dead center of the motel and accessible only by an inside courtyard. It wasn't ideal, but the motel appeared to be almost at full capacity. He took the room he could get and figured he'd just blend in with the crowd as he often did. After a shower and dinner he'd picked up from Red Barn down the street, the Sioux City Strangler flipped on the television and stretched out on the bed in his undershirt and shorts. Game shows were his favorite, and he watched a re-airing of that morning's Joker's Wild intently. With the light from the TV screen filling his room, the Sioux City Strangler fell asleep early. He was planning to do a little holiday hunting the next day, so he knew he was going to need his rest. More about that after this word from Green River Funeral Services. Loved ones in your life can't live forever. They can live on in your heart with dignity, though. At Green River Funeral Services, we can help you ensure that the last memory friends and family members make of the deceased is one of elegance and decorum. With deluxe packages that include a mahogany and brass casket, we offer full-service preparations that can't be matched in the funeral industry. We can even help you find a final resting place for your loved one in a hurry if you don't have a plot picked out and purchased now. Contact us online or call 413-555-0118 to get more information about our full list of services. The Sioux City Strangler strolled through the Sears department store with an orange Julius in his hand, absent-mindedly browsing Christmas sweaters and trying on a pair of dress shoes in the men's section. He picked out a red tie with a white microdot pattern and bought it for himself. He looked like a regular holiday shopper looking for a last-minute gift, maybe for a wife waiting at home or a child playing in the backyard. He'd shaved the beard and he was clean-cut in one of his new suits from Edmunds. He looked like a professional, and truthfully, he was, since he had a steady job in the medical profession that paid pretty well. Maybe he didn't completely feel the part, but he looked it, and he had gotten good at faking it over the last few months. The mall was crowded and full of families, single men with stressed-out faces looking for gifts, and an abundance of seniors simply walking from one end to the other to get their miles in without facing the cold weather outside. 
He wasn't exactly sure how he was going to find his next victim, though he was clear with himself that that was why he had stayed in town and away from home. Along with the professional career he'd looked into by way of running into John Pruitt at Simpton's, he'd found a new sense of self in the past few months as he put the Vietnam War in the rearview mirror. He knew who he was, and he knew how he was going to make his mark. And he was going to have a damn good time doing it. The job paid the bills, and it beat digging ditches or working on the fryer line, but it didn't mean anything to him. Selling pills to senile old doctors and fresh-faced first-week practitioners wasn't a calling. The Sioux City Stranglers sat in the crowded Harvest House cafeteria and watched for single women. There weren't many, and most of the ones he spotted seemed to be in a rush, eating quickly with smiles on their faces or flipping through catalogs and magazines. They were probably mothers looking for holiday gifts, he thought. An option, sure, but getting these women alone any other way than with brute force would be difficult. He imagined trying to drag a tall blonde eating chicken noodle soup from her table into the mall, through the Sears department store, and then another hundred yards to his car parked at the far edge of the parking lot and laughed under his breath. That likely, he thought. Not unless he wanted to fight off a dozen random dudes trying to play hero. Then, like a gift from some malevolent god, a woman with light olive skin began filling his brown mug with more coffee. He'd been so lost in his daydream that he hadn't seen her walk up. The coffee spilling out onto the table and the clumsy gesture the woman in the pink and white outfit made to clean it up finally got his attention. Oh, I'm sorry, sir, she said, wiping down the table with a wet, stained rag she'd pulled from an apron pocket. Did I get any on you? No, he said, pausing for a second to think of something clever to say. I think my dessert got the worst of it. They both looked down at the slice of spiced apple pie with cheddar cheese on top, now soaked in black coffee. Oh no, she said, standing very still, just looking at the pie. She didn't move a muscle for what seemed like ten seconds. The Sioux City Strangler looked up at her and saw a blank face with eyes that looked far away. She didn't look like the other woman in the mall, wearing plastic smiles and shopping for presents that would end up in the trash in a week. I'll tell you what, he said, putting on a big smile. If you let me buy you a slice of pie and you sit here and eat it with me, I won't tell your boss about this mishap. And maybe bring me some more coffee, huh? She stared at the pie for a second, then lowered her eyes even further, catching a glimpse of the Sioux City Strangler's brown leather shoes. They were clean and polished, designed to make a good impression on picky doctors. She scanned his face in an attempt to figure out what he was thinking. She decided that he was probably flirting with her, as men often did. She said what she often said to men who tried to chat her up. Yeah, I don't know. The inflection in her voice went up as she spoke, giving her words an air of playfulness and leaving them somewhat open-ended. This usually made the men feel better when she went back to work without giving them her phone number. Like they'd had a chance, and just maybe if she wasn't at work, or like she could still change her mind. The Sioux City Strangler played a hunch. Look at all these people, he said, enjoying the holidays and shopping for their families, spending time with their families. If you're married or seeing somebody really serious, then I get it. You wouldn't want to sit down with some guy sitting by himself and stuffing his face with pie. But me, I'm new in town and the holidays get pretty lonely when you don't have what they have. He waved his open hand out towards the crowd in the cafeteria like a TV host showing off a prize on a pedestal. 
She looked him in the eyes as he tried to put on a puppy dog look that wasn't too pathetic. Women didn't like pathetic. Sensitive, serious, sad even, that was fine. Pathetic wouldn't work. As her face softened, he switched back to his big smile. Fine, she said. I'll sit down with you, but I'm not off until one and you have to buy me lunch, not just pie. The Sioux City Strangler looked at his watch. It was 12.40. He put his hands flat on the table and looked at her, his grin getting wider. I think I can wait 20 minutes. She rolled her eyes at him. Do you want more coffee? She asked. I wouldn't mind it, he said. Although I prefer it in my cup, usually. She laughed out loud, a little snort coming from her nose. She put her hands up over her face in embarrassment. Okay, I'll see what I can do, she said, walking away and through the swinging kitchen door. She came back with what appeared to be a fresh pot of coffee a few minutes later. Just for you, she said. And you said, in the cup this time? You sure? Let's try it, he said, just this once. We'll see how it goes. I could be wrong. They looked at each other as she poured the coffee, both of them feeling a little bit of real chemistry now. He tapped his watch silently as she walked away, making her laugh again. And just like that, the Sioux City Strangler had another victim in his sights. That's next, after a message from Gas Saver Fuel Additives. The open road is calling your name. But out-of-control gas prices aren't doing you any favors. Gas Saver Fuel Additives can keep your car running smoothly and save you big bucks as you rack up the miles. Designed with a proprietary formula the competition just can't crack, Gas Saver Unleaded, High Performance, and Diesel Fuel Additives are in a league of their own. Show the road no mercy and burn rubber by putting Gas Saver Fuel Additives in your car or truck today. The Sioux City Strangler stood outside the Harvest House cafeteria with an unlit cigarette in his mouth, checking his watch frequently. At 1.10, the woman he was waiting for came out the big front doors of the restaurant and smiled at him. Sorry, she said. My boss wanted to talk about the schedule. Again. Oh, he said, giving a slight smile. Yeah, I've been there. Don't even worry about it. His smile grew. So, where to? He asked. I thought you knew, she said. No, I'm new to town, I told you. I don't know much about the area at all. They both looked around, making some attempt to find a place to go. There wasn't much at the mall except kid-friendly food places and Harvest House. There was no way she was going back into Harvest House after just getting off a shift. There's a place not too far from here, she said, if you have a car. That I do, he said. He pointed the way toward the Sears department store, and they made the walk in silence, occasionally glancing at each other, exchanging sideways smiles. They got a table at the lighthouse inn about 15 minutes later. Not too far from here turned out to be about five miles. Pretty much a historical landmark in Cedar Rapids, the lighthouse inn had been there since 1912. The lunch rush was over and the restaurant was quiet now. The two diners made small talk as she ate chicken with mashed potatoes and green beans. They both drank beer, which had been her idea. He liked that she wasn't afraid to eat and drink beer in front of a man she'd just met. So... I know you work at Harvest House, he said, but I don't actually know your name. They don't have name tags at Harvest House, he asked in jest. No name tags, thank God. Excuse me, can you get this for me? Hey you, my coffee is empty, is good enough, thanks. Uh, not so great, huh, he asked. Oh, uh, she said, it's fine. 
I shouldn't complain that much. It's not exactly the greatest job in the world, but the people that work there are nice enough. Most of the people eating there are fine, too. Yeah, he said. I still didn't get your name. Oh, she said, laughing quietly. It's Maria. D'Angelo. Well, which one is it? He quipped. She smirked at him and took a sip of her beer. Aren't you going to eat anything? She asked, feeling a little nervous all of a sudden. Me? I ate lunch an hour ago. I can eat a lot, but I can't have two lunches in 90 minutes. Oh, right, she said, taking another sip of her beer. Well, how about that pie, then? They have great pie here. Don't make me eat all alone. Whenever you're done with lunch, she said, we can have pie together. How about that? I believe I did suggest that way back at Harvest House. The two ate apple pie and talked about their favorite foods, places they'd been, TV shows and movies they liked, and more. They kept it light, and there were plenty of smiles to go around. Two more bottles of beer made their way to the table, and the pair drank them. By the time either of them thought to check, it was nearly three o'clock. A waiter was vacuuming nearby, and the place was empty except for the staff. The lighthouse inn was officially closed until dinner, but the waiter didn't have the heart to kick the obviously on-a-date couple out the door, so he worked around them. "'Wow, I guess we should get going, huh?' he said. "'This place is a ghost town.' She just nodded, and the Sioux City Strangler flagged the waiter over. He paid the bill in cash and slipped the man a little extra tip with a wink. "'Thanks for letting us hang out,' he said on the way out the door, which the waiter had to unlock with a key he'd pulled from behind the host desk. "'No problem,' said the waiter." Happy to do it. Happy holidays. Back in the car, the Sioux City Strangler drove toward the mall again. At this point, he was certain she'd say yes when he asked her out to dinner. Instead, she beat him to it. Say, uh, it might be the beer, but do you want to have dinner sometime? She said, shifting a little bit in her seat. You're not married, right? Me? No, I'm not married. Come on, that's crazy. Why would I? She cut him off. Hey, it's happened before, trust me. Ah, he said. Not me, no. Not married. Never been married. Not even close to being married. No girlfriends and no dates lined up, I told you. New in town, and all I do is work these days. She smiled, feeling reassured. So, does that mean you want to have dinner? She asked. Am I being too forward? Maybe it was silly. No, it's great, he said, speaking over her just a little to help calm her nerves. I think it's great. And yes, I absolutely want to have dinner. I have dinner every single night. Never miss it. (laughs) So, we'll have dinner then. Maybe I can make you something since you treated me to lunch today. A home-cooked meal? How could I turn that down? Can you cook as well as those ladies in the hairnets down at Harvest House, he asked. She laughed, this time louder and with a comfortable ease. Do you like spaghetti? Hmm. Can't say I've had it. What is spaghetti? He asked, pretending to be confused. She laughed again, reaching over to slap his knee gently. A few minutes later, they were back at the mall. He was circling the parking lot, not really sure where to go. He pulled into an empty spot near Sears. I'm going to need your phone number and address, young lady, he said. If I'm ever going to get to try this, what is it you call it? Spa. This time she laughed and just shook her head at him. She wrote down her name, phone number, and address on the pad the Sioux City Strangler pulled from the glove box. Thank you, he said. How about tonight? She sighed. I'd love to, but I have to watch the kid tonight, she said. 
He paused, feeling like all the blood was rushing to his head. You have kids? Huh? Oh, no. I don't know. It's the neighbor's kid. She works nights at a bar now, trying to pick up extra money for the holidays. I said I'd watch him. I didn't know I'd be turning down dinner plans because of the little brat when I said I'd do it. What about tomorrow night, though? Tomorrow night it is, he said. Now, where am I dropping you off? Oh, here's fine. I can walk. I'm just a few blocks away. What? No, that's ridiculous. I'll just drive you. I figured you had a car here. No, no car right now, she said. At least I work close, huh? That's a plus, he said. And luckily for you, you just so happen to be in the presence of one of the best drivers in all of Iowa. Some would say the best. Who would say that, she asked. Some, he said. Some would say that. The Sioux City Strangler dropped Maria D'Angelo off at her apartment, a small two-story building with green paint and brown trim a few minutes later. They said their goodbyes and set a date for the following night at 7 p.m. He drove away and went back to the Lamplight Inn alone. He bought a Coke from the vending machine outside and turned on the TV in his room. The holiday programming was in full swing now. He changed the channel looking for anything else, eventually landing on a rerun of the dating game. Music signaling the start of the evening news woke the Sioux City Strangler up at 6 o'clock on the dot. He finished the rest of his Coke, which had gone warm and flat on the bedside table next to him. He flipped on the lamp and sat watching the stories about holiday traffic and long lines and out-of-control gas prices. He got in the shower and shaved, taking his time to get every stray hair. He combed his hair and pushed it back with a touch of pomade before putting on a plaid suit with black dress boots. He had a dinner date tomorrow, but he wasn't going to waste his evening. McCrary's bar was full of businessmen drinking away a long day and avoiding their families at home. He also happened to know that McCrary's was a local hangout for high-class call girls who spent time with business travelers and men looking for a little action on the side. He sipped a gin and tonic with two limes slowly, sitting alone at the bar next to some sad sack who'd just gotten a divorce. He listened politely as the man got drunker and sadder, but he really didn't care. As the Sioux City Strangler finished his drink, the pair went outside to have a cigarette and get a little fresh air. Before they even got their cigarettes lit, two women approached the men standing on the sidewalk. The way they were dressed, it was fairly obvious that these were working girls, though perhaps not to the drunk man in the too tight blue suit. The two women approached the pair, each asking for a cigarette and trying to make small talk. The drunk's face lit up as he fumbled for the pack of cigarettes in his jacket pocket. He dropped his wallet onto the sidewalk, and the brunette in the low-cut red dress bent down to pick it up for him. Everyone could see the cash practically spilling out of the top. After a smoke, the men took the girls back inside to the bar and ordered drinks. The Sioux City Strangler ordered two more gin and tonics, one for him, the other for the short blonde who had seemingly chosen him as her mark outside just a few minutes ago. She drank it fast, and he happily ordered her another. The Sioux City Strangler made up an array of fake details, making sure the drunk and the brunette overheard some of them, too. He was in from Michigan on a sales trip. What did he sell? Oh, you know, boring stuff. Bulk vacuum cleaner bags, replacement oven doors, wholesale to retailers and contractors. Boring, but business was good. Around 10.45, the Sioux City Strangler and the blonde, who said her name was Sherry, made their exit. 
saying goodbye to the brunette and the drunk. They were still throwing back martinis, though he looked like his head would hit the bar any minute. She'd be out the door with his wallet full of cash before midnight. The Sioux City Strangler pulled out onto the road and headed back toward the lighthouse inn where he'd had lunch with Maria. Cars passed on the other side of the road less frequently now, as the lighthouse inn was in a relatively rural area now compared to when it was built, more than 60 years earlier. Hey, uh, I thought you were staying in town, asked Sherry. She seemed confused more than worried. Oh, no, he said. I'm staying at a friend's place out in the country. He's a lawyer and he travels a lot and it just worked out. That way I can save on the room, you know? Right, yeah. I guess guys that travel a lot, she said, not finishing her sentence. The Sioux City Strangler drove past the lighthouse inn and turned right on a dirt road. The road didn't lead anywhere. He'd noticed that earlier in the day. It looked like maybe it dead-ended somewhere or just cut through to another long-forgotten road. Fields of tall grass flanked them on both sides as they drove. Way out in the country? she asked. A lawyer lives way out here? Could be, he said. Anything is possible. Sherry started to protest, but the Sioux City Strangler slammed his foot down on the gas hard before she could get the words out. 70 miles per hour, 80 miles per hour, and then 90. Dirt from the road was flying up in the air, and the Sioux City Strangler was smiling now. He reached down to turn on the radio with one hand and abruptly brought the car to a halt. He'd stopped so quickly that Sherry had hit the dashboard with the left side of her body. The Sioux City Strangler turned up the radio a bit and got out of the car, turning off the lights. He walked over to the passenger side and opened the door, still wearing his smile. Sherry struggled to push past him when he opened the door and just stood there. She was too injured to run more than a few steps, though. He dragged her out into the grass, which was tall enough to make the two of them impossible to see from the road. He took a pair of black leather driving gloves from his jacket and put them on as the terror in her face grew. She tried to scream, but he quickly placed his hands around her throat. A few minutes later, the whole ordeal was over. He looked for ID in her purse, which was still back in his car, but she didn't have any. She did have $152 in cash, which he put in his pocket. Placing the bag on the ground with the shoulder strap in his hand, the Sioux City Strangler stepped on the bag with his left foot and pulled up, ripping the strap off on one side. He carried the purse out into the field and dumped the contents around before placing it a few feet from her body. It might look enough like a robbery gone wrong to confuse a few stupid country cops, he thought. The Sioux City Strangler brushed himself off and walked back to his car. He drove out to the road and pointed his Pontiac toward where he'd left her body. He turned on his high beams, but he couldn't make out a body. All he could see was dry grass and overgrown brush. Back at the Lamplight Inn, the Sioux City Strangler parked in the full but quiet lot near his room. He used a flashlight from the glove compartment to inspect the seat and dash for any forgotten items or blood that may have belonged to the woman. He couldn't find any, but he wiped the seat and dash down with a towel from under the seat and some water from a thermos before making his way back to his room for the night. The Sioux City Strangler took off his black dress boots and inspected his suit under the bathroom lights. 
It looked clean and near perfect except for a little dust on the seat of his pants. He wiped it off with a washcloth and hung the suit up in the closet. He thought he might wear it again for his dinner date. It was getting close to midnight now. The Sioux City Strangler turned on the TV and sat down at the cafe table in his shorts and undershirt. He pulled a shoe polish kit from his bag and got to work on the dress boots. He worked vigorously for 15 minutes, tiny beads of sweat forming on his forehead as he worked the polish on and brushed it off. When he finished, he could see his reflection in the toe of the boot in his hand. His hair was still perfect. After taking a shower, he got dressed in a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt. He didn't bother with shoes. He was only going to the vending machine. He grabbed the money he'd taken from the prostitute and headed out the door. He bought a few Cokes, a couple of Milky Way candy bars, and a few bags of Ozark barbecue potato chips. He got some peanuts and pretzels, too. His arms full, he walked back to his room without spotting a soul. He got inside and dropped the hall onto the small table before stripping down to his underclothes again, throwing his jeans across the room with a laugh. A rerun of The Price is Right was starting. He turned up the volume and popped the top on a Coke can as he bit into the first Milky Way bar. It was midnight now, but it didn't matter. He didn't have anything to do until dinner with Maria the next night. Sioux City Strangler, the podcast, is a past due production and was recorded in sunny Los Angeles, California at Past Due Studios. This episode was written by Christopher Chase Godwin. Theme music was written and performed by Michael Wegner. Additional music was written and performed by Michael Wegner and Christopher Chase Godwin. Dialogue editing services were provided by Janet Berry. Additional editing by Carl Weiss at Past Due Studios. Mixing by Tommy Singh. Audio mastering provided by Renee Rojas. Learn more about the Sioux City Strangler by visiting SiouxCityStrangler.com and WeArePastDue.com to get the whole story. You can also find authentic Sioux City Strangler memorabilia like Bel Air Motel stationary notepads and sturdy diner mugs. Don't forget to join the Sioux City Strangler fan club to get exclusive updates and access to limited edition items as well. New fan club members get a coupon code for 15% off on any order from the Past Due store. We need to thank Green River Funeral Services and Gas Saver Fuel Additives for helping us bring this episode to you. Make preparations for the afterlife and enjoy your journey here on Earth with Green River Funeral Services and Gas Saver Fuel Additives. Subscribe where you're listening now to hear Episode 5 of Sioux City Strangler, the podcast, coming soon. Coming soon.